it is the Just Jiu Jitsu Podcast here with Andrew and Croiler. Oh my god, this one's gonna be a boiler. You step right up, just listen to a tune. Oh my god, look at it. Croiler's in the room, everyone. Croiler Gracie here, host of the Just Jiu Jitsu Podcast with his humble co-host, Andrew Desimone. I'm, Thanks for introducing us. You're welcome. I mixed the order up this time. You did. You put me first and then you, which is, just, which is good. I did some soul searching this weekend. Did you? And I thought, what kind of an asshole introduces himself first every time and then his guest? That's that's true. That speaks volumes of my lack of and character. Today you called me a host instead of your guest, as you just mentioned. No, I don't say guest. I say my, I say and co-host. No, but you just said guest just now. Just a second ago. Just a second ago. Yeah, that's right. Oh. That's right. Nobody. Who's keeping track of this? That's right. Well, I mean, you're the guest because I'm I'm letting you into the jujitsu world and I'm showing you the ropes. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, everyone! Hope you're all having a fantastic week. We are today gonna do this on kind of like last week we've just got some just some random things to go over i've sounds good i've uh I've, instead of having like a topic i enjoyed last week's episode where we just went over questions from listeners stuff i had on my brain and we're just gonna do that again today put me on the spot made me talk about myself mm-hmm. what did i make made, you made, oh made us all uncomfortable i did make you talk <laughs> about yourself i don't like that well this it, it's getting a lot more personal today I, that, I'm, I'm done we're gonna talk about your kinks, your fetishes. <laughs> no, no, we don't want to know that. It probably involves like a weird teddy bear and a gi, and I don't want to get into why or what you do with that teddy bear and the gi, because you have at your house that yeah, big. Yeah, you do. You want to know? <laughs> I do. We all want to know. Everyone, go ahead and email in your questions about about teddy bears and gis. All right. Uh, we're going to start this one off with a listener question. We're going to do it reverse today. Okay. This one is from Alexi. Alexi from Four Orange Brewing Company. <laughs> should, should we do that for every single listener question now? Just yeah. say... Such and such Absolutely. from Four Orange Brewing Company. I'm down for it. All right, this is Alexi from Four Orange <laughs> Brewing Company, uh, one of our biggest supporters. He says, "Hi, I have some questions that will drop here. That I will drop here. I know there are lots of them, but I guess you can answer them one at a time or at the same time." That's how every question is answered: is one at a time. <laughs> just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> Maybe we could try something different. I'm going to I'm going to read all the questions and I want you to answer them in a way that answers every single one of those yeah, questions. That's, that's not possible. <laughs> all right, first one. Why is why are there so much more Kimura finishes than there are Americana finishes in Jiu-Jitsu and MMA? It's a really good question. Um well, um at a surface level, generally speaking, you learn Americana long before you learn um, Kimura. So at a surface level, right? Um, you're going to be more hip to defending an American lock ultimately than you are by a Kimura, than a Kimura lock, just by definition, because you spend more time exposed to an American lock, both applying and defending than you would a Kimura. Again, at a surface level. But really, what it comes down to is, is a Kimura. A Kimura, like we've mentioned before, like we talk about like plus moves, Kimura, generally speak, speaking, is at least a plus one 
uh, like a normal plata is like a plus two. Um, uh, Kimuras are going to be a plus one no matter what. Will you explain the plus one, plus two for people? Yeah. So so essentially, if you are if think of Jujutsu exchanges as a game, like a zero sum game. I'm trying to pass. You're trying to maintain guard. So if I pass and you recover, it's zero. I plus you from one for a second. You recovered, and then you plus me one, so it's a zero, right? So if I wanna, if I wanna submit you, and I do an armbar, and I'm just doing an armbar, that's a plus one. That's my my win there. If you defend, then your defense is usually gonna be a plus one, so it, it cancels itself out. If I do, um, let's say a triangle, and then I armbar you within the triangle, that's a plus two. You see, because if you defend the armbar, you're still in a triangle. So your defense has to be a higher level defense in order to overcome the extra advantage I have. A normal plata is a submission, and to defend the normal plata, you have to give up top game. So generally speaking. So if I throw a normal plata and I completely royally mess it up, I still get top. So it's a guaranteed plus two that even if you manage to skip the first one, I still have an advantage. Mm. A Kimura is much like an Omoplata in that sense that the, the the difference with the Kimura and the Omoplata is where the Omoplata, if you mess it up, it automatically gives you top control. A Kimura gives you control, right? Not necessarily on top, but just control. So you have a submission and an incredible form of control that you can then go into Kimura Trap and then that can give you essentially a, a roundabout or a turnpike into other positions, back takes, arm bars, top control, and so on. So Kimuras, by definition, if you cannot finish, if the opponent manages to cancel out the attack, they will still give you such a dominant control over the opponent that you can then launch off you know, subsequent attacks as a, as a follow-up, as a continuation to essentially extending your ability to finish your opponent. Mm-hmm. So where in an American lock, if it fails, the ability to extend that play to go into other attacks or the forms of control is very limited. Generally, if, a, if an American lock ends, you have to go to some sort of armbar, whether it's a traditional armbar, like a traditional Jujigatami, or um, into a straight armbar, like, you know, so, or an elbow crush of some sort. Where if a Kimura fails, you can maintain the opponent in the position that they're in because they, they may not get out. It, you can get back exposure. You can get top exposure. You can go to crucifixes. You can go into arm bars, triangles, different kinds of chokes, different kinds of back takes. It, it just spirals so quickly out where not so much in American lock. So your reason for why Kimura's happen more frequently than our, uh, American locks would be because people see that there's more of a benefit they're in a better place if it fails or is it i don't think most people realize that right i think people realize that hey if i don't get the kimura i'm still in control they're not as afraid to do it correct where if i do an american lock and it fails i don't really necessarily have much more than i had before Mm -hmm. where if i do a kimura and it fails I, i generally speaking people feel good they still feel dominant and and that extra comfort that extra it serves like a as like your safety blanket to to do it more, you know, to attack it more, um, and and it's very powerful in that way. Would part of the reason we see Kimuras more often also be that to hit an Americana, you have to be in mount in a uh, you can, in a you can, higher position. You can that, hit Americana from side as well. 
Um, but again, the opponent has to... Because you have to be in more of a dominant position, right, to, to yeah. get your Americana. Right. So right. not everyone's going to be there. Right. And so... It's like to get to that point is tough, but I see here uh, almost a shortcut to a Kimura. So, so think of it this way. If I wanted to, let's say we're, we're, we're fighting, whether it's MMA or Jiu-Jitsu, it doesn't matter. Let's say I want to do an Americana on you. I have to first get it, get the fight to the ground. But that's going to be the same for Kimura. Mm-hmm. Kind of. We'll talk about that. Once it goes to the ground, I also have to be on top for Americana to work. You can't do an Americana from the bottom. Not effectively. So... I have to take it to the ground. I have to be on top. I have to assert control. So I have to properly place my body, isolate an arm. And then once you're stuck, I can then commit two of my limbs to attacking your shoulder. In a Kimura, that's not the case. For me to get a Kimura to work, all I need is a Kimura grip. Standing, kneeling, bottom, top. It doesn't matter what position I'm in. If I can get a, if I can get a Kimura grip on you, I can eventually make that into a Kimura. I can be threatening with it. I can create different exposures. I can control you in different ways. I can achieve different things. It's more versatile um, and it's more control-based than a regular Americana. Okay. I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, you can use you can use Kimura to take people down. You can use Kimura to pass guard. You can use Kimura to take backs. Like, you can't do that with American Lock. Mm-hmm. It's not as, as much of an utility technique. Our next question from Alexi from Fort Orange Brewing Company is, can you talk more about the hip locks? It is really fascinating because it seems so odd to attack those huge articulations. Yeah, it's it, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, like I said, they're more of the obscure side of submissions, but they're definitely there. There's mechanics for them. Um, and they obviously can be pulled off. Um, they do require some finesse, of course. So really, joint size is kind of irrelevant to um, a submission mechanic. Um, I think it was Archimedes that said, you know, give me a, a lever long enough and a strong enough fulcrum to put it on that can move the world, right? So a bigger joint, generally speaking, as long as you have a big enough lever and a big enough fulcrum, you, you can break that joint. Um, with, with the hip, there's no difference. It's a big, big joint. You can rotate essentially you can attack the femur head the connection to the hip and and break that part of the joint are you breaking the bone no you're never breaking the bone in a submission does it happen sure but those are rarities um joint locks are usually meant to break soft tissue ligaments tendons muscles etc the breaking of the bone occurs and occurs often but it's not a guaranteed that that has more to do with how much stress the bone can take there's a video flying through social media right now where this guy is trying to do a, a triangle Oof, and he's yes. pulling 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 and he breaks his own femur that is not the norm you see those are the exceptions like when you see somebody like go for an arm bar and like their humorous bone breaks or their you know radial and break like that's a that's the exception. That's not the norm. That's not what you're targeting when mm-hmm. you're doing arm You're targeting ligaments and tendons. Sometimes you can you can look to dislocate the joint, but really you, we're never talking about breaking bone. Bone is very dense and very hard to to do damage to. Takes I, impact well. I saw that video and I wondered how that happens. Where you would think, 
clearly the guy was doing it and probably didn't feel a whole lot of stress on his leg and then all of a sudden it just snaps again if you have (laughs) if you have micro fractures or hairline fractures and you put that extra pressure or it's a perfect storm you just happen to hit a perfect angle with this perfect weakness in the bone with the the right amount of again those are those are exceptions those are not the rules Mm -hmm. so when you attack something like the hip lock you're still looking to break the ligaments and tendons and muscles around the hip joint not so much the hip itself or the femur itself if that makes sense yeah the hip the hip locks or submissions are they can you hit them from different angles or i i can only think of maybe one or two and they're all from the same spot and that's you in someone's guard so you generally you you much like most leg locks you're attacking from as you're closer to their legs um most of the hip locks i know are from pass guard passing um, there is one or two that can be done from mount, but again, those are the exceptions to the rule. Mm. Generally, you're going to be closer to the legs to do them. And I think we talked about this last time, but have you seen a hip lock in competition? No. Okay. Um, not that I can think of. Again, it's an obscure submission. It's something that it works. It's functional. Like you can definitely do damage, but it takes such high level of finesse and and training and this perfect scenario to occur that you're you're much better investing your time in scenarios that are more likely to occur right all right next question from alexi alexi's got some good questions yeah he's on top of it yeah it's a good thing it's not that other guy from the four four with a brewing company well you know craig i think you should bring on uh, i think let's see last time can't think of the guy who I accidentally said was from Fort Orange Brewing Company, but maybe bring on Alexi. He's got some good ideas here. Yeah, some good, good questions. Yeah. He's very inquisitive, a yeah, curious he should, guy. He should visit us sometime. Yeah, yeah, Alexi. Yeah, come to yeah, train Alexi. with us. <laughs> All right, we're back. I had a bathroom break um, in between this. I, I went in there to pee and I sh- shut the door and I locked it. And I'm sorry if that I, I, is that. Is that showing that as a friend I don't trust you? Like I Yes. <laughs> but it also gave me some level of comfort that I, I would know when you're walking out of there. Does it also mean that I don't trust you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like <laughs> it works yeah, both ways. <laughs> yeah, like what did you think if I didn't, you're like, if I don't know he's coming out here. You could come out at any time. That's right. Yeah. And I'm yeah, like what if you're not pr- what are you doing out here that you need a warning for <laughs> Why me are you come? locking the door to the bathroom that you're <laughs> I don't know. Apparently I'm I'm concerned that apparently I'm concerned if I'm in there I'll hear like a I'm like no get out Croiler get out gotcha gotcha listen we've traveled together and you just always find a reason to accidentally open the bathroom (laughs) I plead the fifth on all counts (laughs) all of the fifth (laughs) all right uh, we got our next question here from Alexi he says is the slove and I know I'm not saying this right the s-u-l-o-e-v is that stretch damaging more the hamstring or the knee? So I will be honest, I did not know that it, that that technique was called that. Um, I think it's it's more of a, a newer thing to name techniques as as people come up with them, and and come up is a irrelevant term because the the technique's been around for a long time. So. First, um, what is the technique for? So it's a, it's a, essentially a modified spladel. Um, for those which, of, for which those, for people who don't know what a spladel is, what's yeah, a spladel? A, a spladel is essentially a way. It's a technique in wrestling 
really designed to pin the opponent. You control both sides of the hip and you control both legs and you can raise the hip forcing a pin. Um, although it's also a mean technique because you can really, really apply a lot of force to the hip and it's incredibly uncomfortable. Um, so could it be, could you apply enough force that it's a, a hip hip lock? It, it would essentially be a hip lock, like a banana split would be a hip lock as well. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but that particular variation he's asking about is, for those of you that maybe don't know what it is, um, Khabib does it quite a bit when he takes people's back and uh, people try to stand up. And if he's falling over the top, he'll grab a leg. So he'll have his hooks on, but he'll grab the opponent's heel over their head. Um, and and there's been a few, quite a few submissions, uh, quite a few t- uh, tap outs from that in UFC recently, within the last two or three years, maybe five or six, um, which is quite quite high for uh, a different submission like this. Um, so, is it attacking the knee or the or the hamstring? That's a really good question. I will tell you that it's most likely on ninety percent of the people attacking the hamstring more than the knee because you have no fulcrum on the knee itself there's nothing pushing against the knee there's nothing that you can pull the knee against Um, so when you're on their back and you have your hooks on and you're falling over the top you grab their heel and you pull the heel there's essentially air between your opponent's knee and their chest right and and you're trying to push through the knee to attack to, to break the knee it, there, there is no fulcrum there. there. You have a huge lever, but no fulcrum, nothing to push against so or pull against. So most likely on 90% of the people, they will tap due to hamstring. You're, you're essentially extending those muscles too far past their comfort level. And you can do hamstring tears and things like that. Obviously, you're gonna do damage no matter what. On a few individuals, however, um, they will tap to the knee. And those are going to be individuals that are on the more flexible side because essentially you'll pull that long lever, their leg, so much so that it stretches to the point where either you can create a fulcrum by placing the heel behind your armpit or their knee is trapped against their body and then now you can push through it. Okay. I think you've broken, uh, Alexi has broken a record here on the podcast by getting you to say that's a good question the most yeah. for one person. Yeah, he did. It's because I like Alexi. <laughs> I don't like that other guy. <laughs> the other guy, is that Craig from Fort Orange? Oh, is that his name? Yeah, it is Craig. We have one more question from Alexi. He says, can you talk about Nick Diaz jiu-jitsu? He's my favorite fighter, and I'd like to hear you talk about his ground fighting. No question in particular. I, I would take hours of people breaking down what he does. So, yeah, just ramble on him. So about Nick Diaz's uh, fighting style? About his ground game. His ground game. Um, so Nick Nick is... Um, so if I were to do like... Um, if I were to create like the perfect fighter, right? I'm not saying Nick Diaz is the perfect fighter by any means. But I'm just saying if I were to create the perfect fighter, I would give somebody a certain body style. Okay, somebody who's got long limbs, regardless of their height, who um, is flexible, uh, who can maintain a certain level of endurance naturally. You can always build endurance, but some people are just born with better overall endurance. Um, their starting stats, so to speak, is a little higher than the rest. Mm-hmm. Just like you can be, 
slightly more flexible from the get-go than most people, right? So I would, I would want somebody who's, who's got long limbs, who is, who's got a good endurance, you know, base that endurance, um, somebody who is talented, um, somebody who has drive, and somebody who's disciplined. And, and uh, Nick Diaz hits a lot of those, but he also misses on a lot of those. I think Nick Diaz is very, very talented. I think he has a perfect body as far as jiu-jitsu is concerned. Maybe not necessarily for full MMA. He's long and lanky, flexible. Um, he can maintain a certain pace for a long time. Um, there, there are weaknesses. Obviously, there's not always a, the highest level of focus, and we we see it. Um, to be fair, he always delivers when it comes to fighting. He always makes the weight. He always shows up on fight day if he loses he takes it you know and, mm -hmm. and you know no excuses and so on um so props for that but if if you were to put let's say like saint pierre's discipline and his focus and we just transported those two characteristics to nick, to nick diaz nick diaz would be a far better fighter so that's that's all i'm getting at um as far as jiu-jitsu goes i think for mma jiu-jitsu is really good um, particularly speaking, uh, his bottom game is very, very good, very dangerous off his back. Great guard work, uh, close guard work uh, is, is very, very good. Um, Trains with Crone Gracie, right? Yeah, or at Crone, least did at some Crone, point. Crone, Cesar, uh, Cesar Gracie, and and uh, and his brother, of course. Um, but uh, like I said, really solid, really, really solid nogi jiu-jitsu, really solid uh, ground, a uh, bottom game for for MMA. I don't think that his jiu-jitsu would fare at a high level strictly jiu-jitsu match. I think his jiu-jitsu is much better suited for MMA. Uh, in it that it's it's kind of like um, it's high level enough that he can make he can do whatever he wants to people, but it's also still got a little bit of that crude, rough and tough um, behavior behind it that you would get from something somebody not super refined mm -hmm. which allows him to perform against other guys like him um you see guys like uh like andre galvan or marcelo garcia who have such a you know high level precise refined jiu-jitsu who simply can't transition to ma because they they've lost that rough tough got to push through these shitty situations because they're used to relying to fighting people that are more refined as well mm -hmm. um i think nick diaz still has that which causes him to to, to perform well um, I think, I think no matter what shape he's in or, you know, he's always going to be a threat to people when he goes to the ground. Now, um, things I don't necessarily like about Nick Diaz, his fighting style is, although he's a jiu-jitsu guy, he also, he does not believe in takedowns. Um, that's a weakness in his game, in my opinion. Has he, he said that, or you've just you're, he, that's based on no, what you've seen? I mean, how you've seen him both. Fight? I mean, he, there's interviews where he talks about how he'll punch you until you want to take him down, and then he'll beat you in the ground, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and again, that's a great game plan if you can always beat them on their feet until they want to go to the ground. And again, for most people, he can do fairly well. He can outlast them. He can outvolume strike them, mm -hmm. and he can wear like win the war of attrition. Again, great strategy until he fights people that hit a little harder. And, right, and don't don't respect his striking. Um, so I, I would love to see Nick Diaz have more of a takedown game, whether it's uh, judo based, or wrestling based, or both. I, I wouldn't care. And I would like to see somebody who represents Gracie Jiu Jitsu 
so well to emphasize that skill set a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't want to see I wouldn't want to see Anderson Silva, you know, doing actually that's not 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 true. I wouldn't want to see let's say um trying to think of a, who's the champion right now um uh, you'd have a shit i'm drawing a blank too <laughs> yeah that's all right um so like a D- daniel cormier right mm-hmm. so he knocks people out but really his focus is is wrestling what does he do when he goes out there and fights he dirty wrestles them takes them down beats them a few submissions few knockouts but really, his game plan, he sticks to what he's good at. Just wears him down. Correct. He's going he's gonna to just wrestle you into the ground and just beat on you. You're not going to see Daniel Cormier going out there and doing a kickboxing match. Just because he's got the skill set doesn't mean that's where he's good at. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Johanna Chochenkov, Chochenkov, however you say her last name. Even Jack or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, no, no ground game. That Hopefully, that's the skill she's developing. But she sticks to what she's strong at. She's going to beat the shit out of you on her feet. She doesn't go out there and go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to wrestle today mm-hmm. just because, you know, why not? It feels like Nick does a little bit of that at times where he's like, I'm just going to strike today because why not? Yeah. And that it kind of reminds me also of, I think when Brian Ortega fought, yes, was it Holloway? Holloway. And we all know Ortega has tremendous jiu-jitsu. He would have beaten him. And he's 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 he has good stand-up, but his specialty is the ground game. And I remember watching that fight. I can't remember if we were all together, but just thinking, take him down. He would have beaten him. <laughs> yeah. He would have beaten him. If, if the fight had gone to the ground, he would have beaten him. He has, I don't know what his record is, but I think like 90% of his wins are submissions. He has one knockout goes into the fight with the one knockout and decides I'm gonna try to outstrike probably one of the best strikers in UFC history. Yeah, especially after watching his last right, fight, yeah. Right. What? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, what are you doing? Take him down. Work up the ground. Oh, I can't take him down. Then you better die trying because you're not gonna beat him on his feet, you know? Yep. Um you look at Khabib. Yes. Are Khabib's hands the best in UFC? No. Are they high level? Absolutely. I mean he He'll knock people down. He he can outstrike them. I mean, he knocked Connor down. Yeah. You know? So and Connor's one of the best strikers in the UFC. So obviously Khabib can strike. What does Khabib not do when he when he fights? He does not strike. It's takedown, and then he smothers you, and then he beats you or submits you. That's it. You yeah. stick to what you're good at, and I think that's where like the discipline and the focus, and then that's what I'm talking about. The like is missing from 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 his jujitsu, but. Again, if we're simply talking about his ground game, it's it's probably one of the more dangerous ones in the UFC, particularly from the bottom. I haven't seen uh, Nick Diaz do. I haven't seen him in a purely jujitsu um, format. Have you? They they used to back in the day. Uh, okay. Grab, if you're looking for videos, uh, he used to do a couple of grappless quest. Uh, the West, I think it was like the West grappless quest um, tournaments. He used to show up and compete in some of those early on, like back in 01, 02, 03. Mm. Okay. Well, this episode, rather than move on to other things, let's just call it the Alexi episode. Alexi's a good guy. Yeah. Alexi, you have a uh, you have a home to come train at Absolutely. whenever you want to come to. Not, not that other guy that still hasn't sent us any beer. 
<laughs> I know. Alexi, listen, Fort Orange Brewing, Brewing Company, while they have the best, the best beer in all of America, they still could use your help because they Craig is, an, is great. Craig's wife, Kathleen, they, you guys think about Alexi, bring him on. You might have some, some, some good, uh, he, he brings a lot to the table. So that's it for this episode of the Just Do Just Do podcast. We are, uh, we're going to see you next week. And Corlear, is there anything you want to say as we go? You want to, it's been a while since you sang for us. Did you want to sing a song? To... because I don't sing. <laughs> well, go ahead. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs> wow, that was that was beautiful. That's I appreciate angelic, that. Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot to get you to do that, and I yeah. appreciate you did it. So, everyone, we'll see you next week.